Hello and welcome to episode 180 <laughs> of the Effect Podcast. Turn relationships into burr, burr into relationships. I'm Matthew. And I'm Dave. And in our normally, usually action-packed show today, we have got... Um, Oh, one thing we've we got very little work to do, Dave. We've got very we, we, little work. We've to got do. very little work to do. But one thing we didn't talk about is I don't know. Did we have any fresh patrons this month? <gasps> this week? Oh, carry on talking. I better check. Okay. So normally that's on the list of things to talk about, but I obviously didn't include it this time. But whilst Matt's desperately checking to make sure that we don't miss anyone, um, yeah, world of gaming. There's a few things to talk about there. There was something we were going to talk about last time but we've totally forgotten what it was so we're not going to talk about so we're that. probably not talking about it this time <laughs> unless <laughs> we've remembered it by accident we won't be talking about that i don't think but there's plenty of other things to chat about and we've got a couple of other excellent bits for today so we um had a wonderful interview with andy licked and andy licked uh also i think on on the socials as andy makes games is behind a currently kickstarted game called Between Clouds, a Year Zero engine game. That um, We had a fabulous chat with her about that. That was great. So we'll be talking to her a bit later on in the show. And then, uh, in an effort to make sure that Matthew and I have to do as little work as possible, we have uh, one of our friends of the show and patrons, Toby, is going to talk to us about Coriolis and money in what I think might be the first of at least a couple of pieces from him um, talking about relationships from Burr, Burr from relationships. Uh, and that's a really good little piece of uh, of analysis there that is, um, is great that we'll be talking about that a bit later on in the show. So that is it for our show, but it's going to be action packed as usual. So Matthew, was that long enough? mate that was long enough yes i can safely report that we have had no new patrons in the intervening two weeks okay and therefore we don't need to thank anybody except for the continuing support of our lovely patrons all the rest of our Um, patrons yes indeed now that's great and also you know frankly if we get this this model right we we kind of never have to do any work again because our lovely patrons can do all the work for us so great yeah that sounds like a plan to me Remember, I'm going to spend most of the day editing this. Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Less work then. Less work. Yeah, let's do a bit oh, of work as well, shall we? I did, I did have a question. Uh, Actually, before we move on, this is kind of a slightly World of Gaming-ish thing. I, um, I was asked the question the other day, is Alien the Colony ever going to go out on the podcast? Is there a plan uh, to do that or not? It there's no reason why not i mean you know for some of our podcast episodes we've been ripping off sorry not ripping off we we have ripped the audio off our youtube we don't streams. tell people that no. we rip things off we haven't had an original idea in our lives we just rip off everybody else no, no. Ripping is a technical term for taking the audio <laughs> off a video stream, okay? And that's the sort of ripping off I'm ripping off. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, it's interesting. I hadn't really considered it, whereas no, I just thought it was perfectly normal it. that we should no. put um, the Coriolis thing onto the podcast. But uh, yeah, we should. 
I think though we probably need to retitle it the Inspector Shoe Mysteries, but um, apart from that, <laughs> it could go out like that. Maybe not. Maybe that's the subtitle for a couple of the episodes. But uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, anyway, what what else have we got in the world of gaming so, today? Um, uh, you, you've thrown me entirely, actually, with that conversation. So, <laughs> but let's just let's just finish the conversation live. Uh, so that everybody can hear. I think we have another three episodes of the current run of Forbidden Lands, um, probably three or four, maybe, to to put out. We put another one out this very morning, as we're recording on Friday morning. So after that, do you want me to start putting Alien the Colony out? We could do, if uh, if we fancy it. I'm I'm happy with yeah. that if if you are yeah it just it never even occurred to me before I was asked the question that um, we kind of hadn't done it and it never occurred to me that we might so yeah. I just thought I'd raise the question uh, I'm not no, necessarily arguing that we should do it straight away but I mean there's no reason not to and then my next question would be the sessions there are two and a bit hours long generally because yes. we were trying to fit a whole adventure in one. I'm just thinking, um, should we do hour-long episodes or should we do each session just as is? These may be questions that our uh, patrons and listeners want to answer when they hear hear it on the podcast that we're talking about. Yeah. I mean, my my initial kind of instinct would be to break each one into two episodes. So it would be an hour and a bit each. But I'm I'm more than, you know, if, if people think, having a two hour, 20 minute, two hour, half an hour podcast isn't too, too much in one go, then we could do that. Yeah. And I guess yeah. there's an ed- editing thing for you as well, I guess. How long did it take? There's an it, interesting, um, it take there's longer? an interesting thing, of course, I, I, I don't think we particularly recorded each character introducing themselves, which I always find very helpful. We did so, in the session zero. In the session zero. Yeah. Well, anyway, let, let's see. Let's see what yeah. we can do. And maybe okay. I can get people back to do a kind of intro session of their characters really? that I can then, um, um, you know, cut up and do at the beginning of episodes if, okay, if they don't cool. happen. Um, but yeah, I don't want to make right. more work. You know, if it's easy Let to us do crack anything, on but... with the world of gaming. And something caught me by surprise. And this may have been the thing that we were talking about last time and forgot to put into last time's episode although i can't remember i didn't know that death in space was anything to do with free league until free league sent me a review copy Mm. yeah same here we had patrons who had backed death in space and were quite excited by it um so death in space for those who don't know is Another Free League workshop publication. So Free League have published it, but it's been uh, produced and created by others, not least uh, our friends uh, Johan Noor and um, Pella from Stockholm Cartel, plus others. There are others involved in the in the production of it as well. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so it's another Free League workshop product. Yeah, and we ought to be really, really precise here because there are two Free League workshops in That's the world. That's true, yeah. <laughs> So the Free League Workshop that you find on DriveThruRPG is the community content uh, outlet for people producing material that's, by doing it through the Free League Workshop, is automatically licensed for any one of uh, their games, except Alien, of course, which the, the 
Feeling zone license doesn't allow them to sub-license. No. Um, but also, Free League Workshop is the brand you will find on the back of your copy of Merck Boyer, or I'm, I'm guessing a physical copy of um, Death in Space. Yes, but I don't, yeah, yeah. you know, Merck Boyer came out very much kind of as it was kickstarting. It was very much, you know, we're doing this in partnership with Free League. You'll get your hard copies from Free League, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't aware of that at all for the Kickstarter for. Um, Death in space. Death in space. No, me neither. Um, it does have quite a Merc Boyer feel about it. Having had a quick look through it mm. the other day, um, it is quite quick and dirty. Is 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 the phrase that comes to mind? But it's not entirely fair because it's a lot more than that. Um, it's uh, it's a difficult one to read on a PDF because it's white text on a black background, and my eyes started going funny after a while. <laughs> You old man. I know, I know, I know. Um, but it, yeah, I mean, it's not Year Zero Engine. Um, it's uh, it's a sort of a D20 system where you roll D20. It's kind of old school, an OSR it is a bit, yeah. themed. Yeah, so roll D20, add your ability, and you've got to get better than 12. I think is the basic mechanic behind it. And then if you get an advantage, if you get an advantage, you roll two, you roll two D20s and take the best one. If you get a disadvantage, you roll two d20s and roll take the worst one. So the simple, the, the mechanics are really quite simple, and I think it's um, it lends itself. I mean, it, it's intended to be something you can access quickly and play quickly. It's not intent. It's it's a game that that wants to have pace and momentum about it, and it doesn't have mechanics that gets in the way of that. I think is the way I'd describe it. Yeah. Uh, so I was going to run it this Wednesday. I mm. promised my... Uh, I thought, well, you know, we've been sent a review copy. Maybe we should make an effort to yeah. uh, run yeah. it and review it. Um, but uh, as you will be aware, all sorts of things have been cancelled because I've got a kind of last-minute job opportunity came up and I've got an interview on Monday and I've been basically thinking about that and not being yes. prepared to read the rules of the de- de- death in space and actually run it on Wednesday. So mm. hopefully I will do that sometime soon. Um, and then I'll, I'll report back on how it went. But mm. uh, death in space is available for pre- the key point about this is it's available for pre-order through the free league website. So um, uh, if you're interested in death in space with, I'm, with well, I must admit is a kind of half hearted endorsement from us here because both of us know little about it. It looks pretty in a in a dark and black and yes. white sort of way. The design is really nice. I think it's going to be one of those books that you it's going to feel really good to have in your hand. Um, if people want, mm-hmm. I think the the thing I took from it from from going through it is it feels to me like it's got it's going to have the feel of the movie Prospect. Now, some of the basics behind it are actually I think uh, kind of inspired by that film. So there's in the game there are these special gems that grow on the roots of particular plants that grow on a particular planet, and that's very mm-hmm. similar to the to the basic backstory to to uh, to Prospect, which is actually a great film. I, I recommend it absolutely. I really enjoyed it. It's a really good film. Um, and these gems are super powerful. They could do all sorts of different things. Very very important in modern technology. And so people go and hunt for them and go and go and prospect for them. Um, it's a lot more than that. There's a lot more than that to it, but that's kind of the basic element of the backstory. 
So I think it's going to have a very kind of prospect kind of feel. So if you've seen that film, I think this game, and anyway, you've seen that film and you like the film, this game is going to appeal to you from that kind of uh, that perspective. But yeah, it looks great. I think it's um, uh, it's 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 got definitely got a bit of a Merc Boyer feel to it. It's nowhere near as bonkers as Merc Boyer, but it's got that. You can tell that some of that creative uh, that creative expertise is behind this game that was behind Merc Boyer. Um, kind of a I was thinking about it. it's not science fiction. This one really, it's more it's either science faction or science mm. fantasy. So, fictasy, mm. maybe. Science fictasy. Um, but, yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So, uh, yeah, have cool. a look. I think you're, bur- you're, you're, burying, you're burying yourself in trying to think up a word for it's a game in space with gems. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll give it a go and see what it's like. Um, and I just remembered the thing that I think we were going to talk about last week. And okay. I don't think we talked about it last week. And I think we should talk about it because Go. one of our patrons is behind it. And that is uh, Fearsome Wilderness. Fearsome Wilderness, yeah. So I've got a confession to make. I still haven't had the chance to look through it yet. Um, so sorry, I will get around to it. Um, I won't be today. But the beauty, but the beauty of the weekend. news that we should have said two weeks ago, and we're definitely going to say now because I've remembered to say it, <laughs> well is done. you all listeners can can look through it yourselves. We will put a link in the show notes. But it, there is a alpha quick starty um, copy available to download for free, I believe, yep. from the drive through uh, yeah. workshop. Drive through workshop. What I mean, drive through RPG. Yeah. Um, and I have had a chance to look through it. Uh, I've got some stuff that I want to say to Matthew about it, which I'm not going to share here. Um, but it, the overall principle is great. Uh, the stuff I have to share is about typography. You know me. Um, yeah, you're such a fucking twat when it comes to that. You're a, a pain in the ass, frankly. Uh, but uh, yes. Uh, um, no, so again, the, the, the game, the game, the principle behind the game is something that should should be right up my street. It's the kind of thing that, if it was a uh, a computer game, is the kind of game I would spend thousands of hours playing. Uh, yes. So, I, so I think this is going to be right right in my wheelhouse. Um, but I just need to find the time just to sit down for a couple of hours and have a good read, which I'll try and do this yeah. weekend. And it's interesting that this kind of talks about the inspirations to that game as well, which I won't spoil. <laughs> but I think it's interesting. Um, yeah. So, uh, so yes, uh, we will put a link in the show notes. Go and it's free for God's sake. You have no excuse for not downloading it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. Oh, okay. So that's the bit. So that's the extra bit that I remember. Shall we get back onto our running running order schedule? Yes. So we uh... got some news earlier this week. Well, I, th- I think I'm going to talk very briefly about the Terminator Alpha has come out first before we get on to okay. others, because other things are kind of announcements. I, I was only doing it in the list, in the in the order that you wrote it, mate. If you want to change your order, that's fine. I, I Maybe next order time just write it in the order came, you want to say it. I just wrote it down in the order that came to mind yesterday. So, um, <laughs> so I haven't got much to say about the Terminator Alpha other than it's out for those who backed it. Um, one of our Friends of the show, patrons, Bruce has has got it. It's been looking through it, and it's been sort of like drip feeding some feedback into our patron, which is great. Mm-hmm. I'm 
there's there's a bit of me that now kind of regrets not having backed it in the first place. <laughs> but then there's a but you know well you know what I like I back almost fucking anything frankly, um, mm-hmm. and I have to be more self disciplined over what I back because I just Kickstarter I just saw you coming. <laughs> well, yes, yes, absolutely. So, well, slight digression. I I backed a a board game called Foundations of Rome, which is again right oh, up yes. my alley. Uh, it, it's it's a, it's kind of a, a city building, competitive city building Roman game where you have to get plots of land and then build bigger and better buildings and, and out compete your opponents. So it looks brilliant, but the box I could fucking live in it. It's huge. <laughs> you know, I mean, at the very least I could rent it out as a student bedroom. I mean, it is abs- it is absolutely enormous. It's I don't know. It's it's. 40 or 50 centimetres, well, more than probably, it's at least half a metre aside. It's a, it's just enormous. Yeah. Anyway, um, but yeah, so my, it, my digression was that I backed that long before I had any sense that I'd have nowhere in the house to put it. And luckily, my, <laughs> wife's, my wife saw it and didn't go through the roof and say, what games are you going to get rid of to keep this one then? Which is what she normally says when something new arrives. Right, um, and, I, and I don't get rid of anything. Anyway, I've digressed too far. Well, so, maybe yeah, she's um, learnt that and says isn't going to waste her <laughs> breath on saying it again. Oh no, no, but, but she's not inside like that. <laughs> she's thinking it. Oh yeah, of course she is. She's saying it too. <laughs> or maybe she's thinking, what husband am I going to get rid of to make room for this box? <laughs> Quite possibly, frankly. <laughs> How she puts up with me, I don't know. Uh, that's, that's that's for sure. Yes, anyway, so um, the Terminator Alpha is out there. I suspect we're going to start hearing more and more stuff about how it plays. And um, I haven't seen any formal reviews online for it yet or anything. I haven't looked, mind you, but quite often these things just pop up into my feed. Um, I should have mm-hmm. to go and have a hunt. I mean, it is the um, the SLA system, SLAY system. S5S, um, I believe it's called. Yeah, which we've talked about before which i think can work if you know it well it's not the easiest to get into if you're a novice to it but it does the game the game that our friend paul played for us um i really enjoyed it that was great fun and the system worked quite well because he's an expert in it um yes and yes and he he'd got it all uh, rigged up on roll 20 or something so yeah it was relatively easy to do the dice rolls and stuff on dice on the on that basic system i had a realization on reading bruce's reports from from the pdf face as it were yeah um so it uses uh, effectively a d10 doesn't it for uh, as your success dice effectively Pardon me. yes and then you roll a pool of d6s as your skill dice to see how well you succeeded kind is it of right? or is it, basic 10? it might it might be more d10s i think uh, or, well, Not sure. but, but, more, but more dice, anyway, whatever, anyway. it made me think that's actually very start, similar so. to the uh, D12 and D6s in um, the One Ring, where you your, your, your main dice, effectively, that you roll is a D12, and then you modify it with D6s based on the number, you know, how, how skilled you are in a thing. Okay. Well, that's interesting, because I'm going to have to learn... The One Ring. Aren't you I, just? Yes. Because another segue. Because I I've just uh, just agreed with Free League that at UK Games Expo I will be at their booth demoing the One Ring, and for my sins they've asked me also to demo to demo Simba Room Five E. 
Yes. By which we mean properly the ruins of Simbaroom, which is the 5e adaptation of Simbaroom. So you, young man, welcome to the D&D crowd. back to D&D. You never know. I might just love it so much I never want to play anything again. We have to change this podcast. Well, everybody who plays D&D kind of thinks, what's the point in playing anything else? I've heard. To the five, because it's the five effect, the five E effect. (laughs) Um, yeah. So, so yeah. So I've um, I'm looking forward to that. I've I've got the starter set for um, the One Ring, and I have been reading through it. And I do. It's lovely. It's a lovely little thing to mm-hmm. sit down and read through. It's really nicely done. Um, I do need to get to grips with the rules and everything, of course. Uh, and then Anna, I have to get, Anna I need kind to get of asked. So go on about uh, Anna. Anna asked, you know, what sort of adventure would you run? I can thoroughly recommend that you run uh, maybe two adventures back to back within the slot. From that 5e starter set. Okay, I'm only going to have about 90 minutes per demo, but... Well, if you've only got 90 minutes, then maybe just one of them. But actually, you know, some of them, once you as a DM are practiced with it, you think, I can polish this off in 20 minutes. Actually. Okay. Yeah, well, I'm, um, I'm going to have a... You I, I, have a... Outside the show, I'll talk. I'll, I'll, I'll give you my recommendations. Yeah, cool. I'm, I'm going to do a dry run possibly uh, next week. So I need to sort of mm-hmm. learn the rules before then. Um, cool. But yeah, so yeah, we were going to mention UK Games Expo. I will be there uh, Thursday through Sunday, um, along with the the Free League guys, which is great. I will be spending most of my time at the booth. If I could, I don't think I'm going to be able to squeeze in the opportunity to run a Tales of the Old West, which was part of my original plan. Um, mm. But that's fine because we haven't finished it yet, and it might give me the chance to sit down over a few beers with the Free League guys and talk about it. Because we had we've mentioned it to them before um, on a couple of occasions, and yeah, we'll see we'll see what we see what gives. Um, but yeah, so if you're going to UK Games Expo, come and find me. It'd be great to have a coffee, have a beer. Uh, I intend to have plenty of both. So um, yeah, cool. That, that's what I wanted to say about Games Expo. Cool, excellent. So that's Games Expo. Now. Um... I have no idea in which order we're doing this now. Are we doing War Stories pre-order or are we doing Blade Runner? I think we're doing them both at the same time. So, right, uh, well, what, you're, the, you're the expert on War Stories, so tell me about that. Well, I mean, Where actually, are we? actually, probably better off for that to come after Blade Runner. <laughs> but um, so all I was going to say with War Stories Thank is I don't, <laughs> I, don't I, I don't have an exact uh, date yet. But the pre-order for War Stories has been trailed. That should that should happen this month. That should happen in April. Um, I'm, I'll, I'll send a quick message to Al, see if he can give me any insider knowledge, which mm-hmm. I'll share with you next time. But yeah, if you're interested in War Stories, then that should be coming up for pre-order in the next two or three sure. weeks. Um, it has been delayed a couple of times. I know there were problems with um, some of the artwork was taking longer mm-hmm. than they'd anticipated getting together and al really wants to get the, the 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 product in a almost finished state before he pre-orders so he can get the book to people very quickly is his, his ambition yeah. which is great um it just cool. means we have no, to wait a little bit longer for the pre-order to actually be announced brilliant and he's doing that by pre-order so you'll be ordering that straight off the uh firelock games website you won't be going to kickstarter right uh, yeah, it's going to be a pre-order, not a Kickstarter. Yeah, unless he's changed his mind in the last couple of weeks. So, but I don't, don't like pre-order. Yeah, don't think so. No, yeah. I think... yeah. Meanwhile, um, 
what is going to Kickstarter and slightly surprised me, I must admit, in going to Kickstarter, is <clears throat> Blade Runner from uh-huh. the Free League. Mm. Um, and they're going to put that to Kickstarter on May the, the 3rd. 3rd, I yep. think. Yeah, May the 3rd. So not long, um, four weeks. Yeah, yeah, not long, four weeks. Um, yeah, I'm quite excited. It's interesting, isn't it, that they that Alien obviously went to pre-order because of, uh, I think, kind of concerns. Entirely unfounded, yeah, I think Fox, actually. Entirely unfounded. Well, no, I that, think Fox had a bad experience with a licensee and a Kickstarter previously. Yeah, perhaps. Um, maybe unfounded for Free League, though, maybe. But I, yeah. you could, I guess you can understand their, their um, uh, what's the word, their nervousness. Uh, but obviously this one, they haven't felt the need to do that. But, I mean, this is going to smash whatever target they put up. Um, Blade Runner will get funded, and it will get funded very generously. I'm certain of that. Mm-hmm. I think... And we know, we're very excited about it. I mean, I've, uh, we were, I, I've always been excited about it because, frankly, I like Blade Runner more than I like Alien. Um, but also the interview we did with Thomas way back when, um, yeah. maybe we'll put a link to it in the show notes, uh, got me really excited because um, some of the frustrations we talked earlier on in the programme about um, uh, Alien the Colony and some of the frustrations about not being able to turn Alien the Colony into the Inspector Shoe Mysteries, which is what <laughs> it was there for to! No, <laughs> um, no. But, you know, the system, the alien system, does not let you run the Inspector Shoe Mysteries in the way that I would like to. Whereas this is a version of... Designed to do it, yeah. um, Designed to be a police procedural, effectively. And I'm very excited by that. I want to see what changes they've made. I want to see what the adventures are like. There's all sorts of curiosities I see. I'm not saying... I'm not even thinking they're gonna uh, you know solve all the problems of police procedures in role-playing games uh, i just w- i'm curious to see how they tackle it yeah it, it's it's interesting isn't it the, the sense i i got from from before in our conversation with thomas was that the the scenarios that they're going to produce with it which sadly unless you're not telling me neither of us have been involved with in any in no. any sense um, never mind. I'd love to be <laughs> keeping that secret from you, Dave. But I know. Sadly. <laughs> um, so uh, it seems that they're going to be quite, quite in, quite involved, if that's the right word. They're going to be quite kind of complicated, and they're going to come with what feels like quite a lot of uh, sort of interactive player handouts and items that will help them uh, or be part of the clues that they've got to uncover. Which, if that's true, I think that's on the one hand, it's great. Because I think that kind of interactive gameplay can be is right up some people's street for that kind of investigative police procedural game. I think on the other hand, the downside might be that it makes it perhaps harder for others to replicate that. Um, yeah. To write their own adventures, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I've got no idea whether the license will allow them to have Blade Runner on the Free League Workshop or not. I suspect probably not. But uh, mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know whether the the licensee is going to be um, more nervous about Blade Runner canon than Alien canon. I don't know. I suspect though, being a big license like that, it probably will have similar restrictions to the Alien license. Um, but I don't know. I'm no expert. Um, so yes, I think on the one hand that could be great because that makes a much more. It, it, it comes it reminds me a bit of 
some of the old original Judge Dread, um, the old Games Workshop Judge Dread, yeah, back in the day, which again was you know police procedural, ba- built Hill Street Blues in Mega City One, basically, mm-hmm. and some of the scenarios that they produced, which were actually really high quality, uh, I thought some of those are really good, had quite a lot of that in it as well. Handouts for the players and clues and things for the players to examine and it's really good but it does it, 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 it does bring an expectation perhaps on a GM if they're creating their own one to do something similar which makes the game more preppy rather than less preppy for the GM and I know how you like to be less preppy I'm all about less preppy but you know <laughs> police procedurals do require an element of prep generally I mean yeah. Weirdly, yeah. you can get away without doing it in the Dracula dossier for uh, Knights Black Agents. That's uh, that's one where the prep is kind of on the fly. But yeah. actually, you do need to know who done it. So generally, yes. with investigative stuff like this, you got to read to the end mm. at least. Well, and I actually, I quite I enjoy creating those games. So I, the, the the Judge Dredd scenario I did that we keep harping on about that we did for um, Games Day, six 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 was all about being on this isolated sand harvester where there's a murder and you had to investigate and work out who the murderer was. Mm-hmm. And it was exactly, it was exactly, well, the scenario was longer than that because you, you had the investigation that got you there in the first place. But that was very much, here are the clues, here are the things you can find if you do the right things, and these will lead you to these certain conclusions. And I love writing that kind of game, but it does take quite a lot of effort as a GM. But I love doing that if I've got the time to do it. So I'm looking. I am looking forward to Blade Runner. I will be backing it in the first 24 hours, because they've announced that there is a, as yet to be detailed, um, but there is a bonus to every backer um, who backs it in the first 24 hours. So we don't know what that is yet, but if I'm you hoping back- to back it in the first 24 seconds, mate. <laughs> yeah, I'm not as big a nerd as you are. I'm quite happy to be like the 1,000th backer rather than the fourth backer or whatever. I tried that with Twilight 2000 and I backed it the second it opened and I still came out about 35th. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Which is ironic seeing I've, I've, I've never played it. So but yeah, I'm more likely to, I'm more likely to play Blade Runner than I am Twilight 2000, I think. Yes. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, I do, we've, we've gone for when half When we got an hour. Twilight 2000, I wanted to play it. Current events are putting me off into yes early. yes there is so that i think sure. i may only yeah. return to twilight 2000 when at some point in the future well, yeah yeah when when we can look back on now and think of it as a um as history as history yeah yeah yep no agreed anyway on to happier things and yes. happier things include something that's kind of we're going to bridge world of gaming here aren't we because we're going to tell you about a kickstarter that is also on World of Gaming and that we'll put links to in the show notes. But we're going to lead into our interview with Andy Licht. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so uh, between clouds, should we just go to the interview and let Andy tell us all about it? We might as well let Andy do the work. This is our We're Not Doing Much Work episode after all, isn't it? So, yeah. Let's, <laughs> it let's, is. Uh, and we've already spent half an hour gabbing on. So what are we doing? We should yeah. be slacking. What are we doing? This is rubbish. <laughs> We cool. should be sitting with our feet on the desk drinking hot chocolate. <laughs> Indeed, too late. 
Oh well, never, never, you know, never knowingly under loquacious. We'll tell you what. While we listen to this, let me go and get a hot chocolate, and then we'll do the rest of the program with our feet on the desk. That sounds cool. All right then, let's listen. Our player in the hammam today is Andy Licht, and we're talking to Andy about a new game that she's creating and is currently running on Kickstarter. And of course, one of the reasons why we we are talking to her is it's a Year Zero engine game. So. Andy, welcome. Welcome to the Effect Podcast. Hello, Matthew. Hello, Dave. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Honored to be here. Yeah, great to have you aboard. Brilliant. Um, now, your game, Andy, is called Between Clouds. Correct. And uh, we'll... So between, between Clouds, and then usually I like to attach some buzzwords after it for marketing purposes, but Between Clouds in, in part, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, well, we'll let you try out all sorts of buzzwords after it when, when we talk about it later on. But the first question we always ask our guests is, please, Andy, tell us about your life in gaming. Of course. Uh, so I think for me, and this is probably true for many people, my, my love for tabletop role-playing game was born before I ever encountered a game itself um, <laughs> that, that probably playing with sticks in the front yard, I think is how I spent the vast majority of my childhood <laughs> uh, fighting off, warding off imaginary beasts, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then drawing as well. I monsters and, and characters and creatures, but I just needed an outlet for all of that, for the stick waving, for the character drawing. I needed mm. some, some vessel to put it into. Um, and I think I was 10 years old when I encountered Dungeons and Dragons uh, 3.5 and it was a box set, and I didn't know how to play, but my brother and I gave it a go. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, the rules were not quite in the order that they should have been, but it was fun. And there was <laughs> fantasy and fiction to it. And so that's how I got started. Um, and I remember at a young age being pretty pretty disenfranchised with all of the, uh, all of the crunch, all of the bloat that 3.5 had. And I know mm-hmm. that might be a problem specific to that edition. They've dialed back in recent years, and, and that's good <laughs> for them. Um, but... Uh, yeah, even even at that young age, I felt there was something I enjoyed about it, which was not the the numbers. And so I think when I was 14, I want to say my freshman year of, of high school, that's when I started on uh, Soulbound, my first project. But mm. back then it was just because I wanted to be at a table with my friends role playing without having to, uh, you know, endure all of all of the crunch to get there. So that was, I think that was about where I began. And from there, I dabbled in systems over the years, worked on Soulbound on and off. And that kind of brought me up to um, the release of Soulbound, my my more uh, <laughs> my professional debut, I suppose. But that was my third Kickstarter by the time it was finally funded. So it wasn't, a, it was by no means a, a short sequence of events. Yeah. Right. Mm. Okay. So Soulbound, you were playing in high school as a as a homebrew system, effectively. And Truly, then, yes. And then you worked on it and built it up and you released it via Kickstarter. It, um, it had probably undergone so many iterations that I'm almost, hearing the word now makes me nauseous, I think. Uh, I've, <laughs> I've, I've seen 10 different character sheets for it. And uh, I, I mean, working on projects yourselves, I'm sure you're aware of this, but yeah, things things evolve sometimes kind of beyond what you expected them to. So I'm sure Dave is quite tired of hearing me say, I want to rewrite this. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm very <laughs> tired of that. It's and the he, last thing I want to hear. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's only rare. Rarely is he right. <laughs> sometimes he's right. Um, but, yeah. But um, oh uh, yeah. So uh, we're not here to talk about Soulbound. Um, 
yet. I mean, you 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 may convince us, so we we should give it a try. But what <laughs> caught my eye was when Free League. Um, I think even without really getting in touch with you, because I asked them uh, first of all, oh, how do I get in touch with Andy? Uh, yeah. And said, oh, we didn't get in touch with Andy. We just saw it and we we prompted it. Um, <laughs> and they released a link to your Kickstarter for it's currently on. As we're recording, it's still got a couple of weeks to go. By the Correct. time we come out, it will still have a good 10 days or something, I hope. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, 15 days to go, I think, from today, isn't it? So, uh, mm-hmm. today, yeah. yeah, and we hopefully will get out on Saturday. I'm certainly, so. certainly not counting. I don't have a timer on my phone or anything that I'm watching every <laughs> hour of the day. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and this is a game called Beyond Clouds. Do you want um, to add any buzzwords to Beyond Clouds? <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, we've got plenty sure. of time, so however many buzzwords you like, you know. Uh, yeah, just... <laughs> okay. And you know, I'll, I'll touch on the I'll touch on the free league thing before too. It's uh, first off, it's good to know that that's how you uh, encountered the game, came across the game. Mm. I kind of had a. I'm not going to throw them under the bus or throw any shade here per se. That's that's not my intention. But it was funny because I um, they they have a sub label for independently developed games mm-hmm. uh, like Morkborg was made through this and yeah. Yeah. I think maybe one or two others and I initially reached out to them with interest for that sub label just as an, a potential option an alternative to like this traditional crowdfunding route and um we had we had some talks but I think they were like lukewarm on the project understandably I didn't even the art wasn't quite locked down. I hadn't settled on a style really. And some things were kind of nebulous, but so, so understandably they kind of, they kind of said, yeah, it looks nice, but whatever. Um, But then yes, lo and behold, uh, months later, they, they had sent me an email and had been talking about it on Twitter and all. And I said, well, look who came back around. But uh, (laughs) But I think in their, in their, I guess if if in defense, they are super busy. They've got so many projects on that they, um, they have to drop, they have a, they have a big, like a, a a weekend offsite at the beginning of the year and decide yeah. what they're not going to do. So oh, uh, oh Lord. Yeah. But well, and you yeah. know, it's funny too. You just need, you just need to make a, a quick scroll down their, any of their social media pages to find the five different projects that they currently have their fingers in. And, you <laughs> yeah. know, I, I think we're advertising for the one ring and then lo and behold, I'm mm. like, what is death in space? What is this? That <laughs> I've never heard of. It just keeps coming. Yeah. So yeah. I certainly don't blame them. Um, yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, uh, Death in Space is an example of where I, you know, you might still end up publishing through them because I think Death in Space was one that was entirely independent until quite recently, and then suddenly they've done some sort of deal to help with distributions and and something okay. like that. So that might still happen. But, well, and um, I can understand from a business perspective too. It's, I mean, the the best investment would be one that's already tried and and proved, mm, you know, yeah. by X number of backers. Clearly, there's yeah. some interest, so we'll go with it then. But um, yeah, the the buzzwords I would attach to between clouds. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically, I, I describe it as a uh, colorful, queer, biopunk role playing game mm-hmm. about found family and flying beasts. Those are all the words that I mashed into a big sentence that I think encapsulate what it's about. So Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, it definitely looks like that. Um, I want to talk about your illustration in a moment, but before that, I suddenly realised that I promised you a question and I never delivered on it. Um, <laughs> so you talked, you talked to Free League early on, early days, but what yeah. brought you to the Year Zero engine as the engine to run 
this game. The, this game. Uh, yeah, that that is a great question. I um, so so to preface for my previous project for Soulbound, I made uh, I made a my own system from scratch, and that is in part what added to the nine year production time. I do believe, <laughs> in addition to world building and art and everything else. And so yeah. I really wanted to. I kind of was just trying to play to my strengths with between clouds. Um, which is, in my opinion, like m- my art and my world building, those are the things I enjoy doing most. But there's a lot of stuff that I love about game design, and I especially love integrating game design with world building elements. Um, but m- mechanically, that's, uh, you know, the, the, how many times can we reinvent the wheel, right? Mm-hmm. So I knew I wanted mm-hmm. to do a system th- um, that was pre-existing for the game. I actually started with Powered by the Apocalypse. Right. And... That was that was fun and fine. I, I selected it because of its popularity, and I watched a few actual plays of it, and it seemed like there was this promise of um, uh, speed and everything that wasn't just wasn't quite present there in the actual play. Anyways, mm-hmm. I'm not here to harp on Powered by the Apocalypse. Fine <laughs> system, good system. I tried to I tried to understand the moves, tried to write a game for it, didn't quite work for me, so I ditched that pretty suddenly. And um, one of the other uh, projects that I'd been playing on the side was Tales from the Loop. Mm-hmm. Um, not Mutant Year Zero, not anything else. That Tales from the Loop was the one, and I was originally brought to it by Simon Stallenhog's art. But mm. um, yeah, so that was the game, and just the ease of it, the simplicity of it. I love dice pool systems. Everybody has a few D6s lying around in their couch, yeah. so you'll never run out of them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so so that is part of why I picked it. It's just for the just for the ease of uh, use and also the the friendliness towards new players. The the playbooks make it pretty uh, pretty straightforward. So yeah, so I think you're right. How Tales of Loop can be a a really good system for people to get into. And interestingly, looking at Tales of Loop and what you've just how you've described between clouds on Kickstarter. Um, what I like about the system in its Tales of the Loop iteration is it gets out of the way and lets you create sort of scenes of, of the kids at home between between bouts of investigation and stuff sure. like that. Mm. And I kind of I was, feel that, you know, you're looking very much at, if you like, the home life of your found family as well as the adventuring life. Um, yeah, uh, so. ab- absolutely. I, I just had a, a player the other day who, who uh, during my... Um, playtesting said this is this is they were having fun you know clashing swords and going on adventures but they just really wanted a slice of life session and I said mm. okay let's do it someone has a cold and you need to go get soup whatever it may be you know <laughs> um, and there's a drama drama element that's baked into the game as well all families have drama and so um, for for the roles which are just the, the playbooks in the game um they each character needs to pick a dr- piece of drama relating to uh, every other character in their family. And so usually the slice of my, my anticipation is that a, the slice of life sessions will be centered around resolving that drama. Mm. Excellent. Now I want to get technical. Um, well, before you get technical, I think you've probably answered the question I was going to ask, but I, I know I noted earlier on in the conversation, um, Andy, you were saying that it was the, the art and the stories that got you into kind of the role-playing thing rather than the numbers or the hitting things on the head. And sure. I, <laughs> I do enjoy those. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, nothing wrong with that. Um, yeah. I, I assume you're, you're bringing that approach to uh, Between Clouds as well. Uh, I am. Yes. Yeah. I, I think, I think the, uh, the most, when it comes to rules, what interests me the most is kind of, as I mentioned earlier, the way that 
rules and mechanics can be tied into the world building yeah the the numbers of them the scale of them the way they interact is not quite so important to me and i think that's one of the other things that even kind of drew me to the system and that i took note of and like entails from the loop is is just the simplicity of the numbers if you find a, a beneficial item it's never more than three extra dice and yeah. so the the min maxing is not quite as uh you could do it <laughs> but it wouldn't make much sense necessarily no. so. Cool. Um, actually, Jay's questions asked uh, made me think of another one that perhaps comes before the technical side, and it's the big one. Oh now, no! <laughs> you describe so I, in the I Kickstarter this this oh no beautifully rich world, and uh, mm. it's a colourful world, as you say. Um, you know, you got these wonderfully glamorous adventures that you take take the role of um they're somewhat outside society they're like traveling folk they don't obey the the laws of the various cities that they fly between but they uh i'm assuming they're kind of helpful to those cities or at least to some of them yes, and that was my yeah. big question apart from flitting on the backs of their amazing flying beasts which are gorgeous by the way thank um, you and dressing magnificently as well, which I, I happen to know is one of the features of the game. Apart from all that, what does a player character actually do? The word that I have been using to best describe the expected action in the game is swashbuckling. And I know that's only so specific of a descriptor, but I hope that when players sit down for a session of Between Clouds, they will, by the end of it, have engaged in a good deal of swashbuckling. Ah, and, right. what, and what that entails to me is, um, is, is a lighthearted kind of, you know, lighthearted chaos and and uh, action and violence, you know, not about, not about death and killing, not about conquering foes, but... Um, yeah, about getting into trouble per se. And in a, in, a, in a more tangible sense, the core loop of the game is about protecting and rescuing other Kirin. So other flying creatures, much like your own, they are a poached um, animal entity. And uh, so it, it, and they are essential to like the continuation of life among the clouds. And so it is, it, it's the symbiote's kind of responsibility to help them because they're needed and because they're cute. And so the, and so <laughs> that is the, that is the core loop is going to be rescuing other Kieran, but I've, I've uh, made an effort to sprinkle so many other um, types of enemies and people and uh, encounters that would kind of break that mold too. So, and so kind of already, the... yeah, I've been excited to see the stories that people have already been writing in my discord. Cause I'm going, Oh, these are good ideas. I might take those for the book. But <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So I guess there's, like you say, there's more of a tells from the loop kind of feel to it, where it's not a, you know, I don't know whether death is going to be a potential part of the game, but the consequences might not be quite so dramatic or as serious as, yeah. as maybe a harder edged game. It have a different, more lighthearted feel to it. Yeah, play, player death was discussed, and I decided that it will have a a, a role in the game, but. Uh, Certainly not a violent, gory death. Perhaps just no. a sad, poetic one, and we can move on from that. <laughs> you know, I do like a world with consequences. And uh, mm. but I guess mechanically, my last thought on it all, on the core loop of the game, is that the, I'm, I'm a big fan of kind of organic progression rather than fixed progression. And so mm. to gain new powers biologically, um, the, the, the players, the symbiotes do that by encountering 
other Kirin. Uh, these other Kirin have uh, mutations abilities stored within them that they can grant to the players. And so that's the <laughs> incentive from a mechanical side to be like, well, go rescue these creatures, A, because it's the nice thing to do, but B, because don't you want to shoot fire out of your hands or whatever it may be. So, yeah. Excellent. It's cool. I like that. Um, and uh, you talked a little bit about uh, a variety of an- enemies and antagonists. Now, yeah. I've got to touch on your illustration. I'm, I'm loving the shots that you've got on the uh, Kickstarter page. At least they're, they're, they're beautiful. They're colorful. They're kind of reminiscent of some of the Studio Ghibli work, but they're also not derivative I- of Studio Ghibli. I hear I hear that often, and I take it as the <laughs> highest compliment every time. Really, thank you, thank you. Um, but there's one um, slightly, I have to say, slightly less colourful, and I think intentionally so. Page mm-hmm. of some kind of steamship with uh, uh, you can you you can peer into its engine room. You can see there what looks like a living beating heart, and then there's another heart in a container outside like they're going to be doing a kind of heart transplant of this steamship yes i have a sneaking suspicion that these steamships work on kirin hearts am i right (laughs) that is uh your suspicion is very much correct yes that uh i know the image you are referring to and it was meant to illustrate exactly that point um yeah, that that is, and so that is part of the tension in the game, and the reason that these these animals, these Kieran, are are um, so sought after and so commonly hunted and poached, mm-hmm. is that in a world that exists above the clouds, where staying afloat is paramount, mm-hmm. um, the most effective fuel for that, the best way to do that, that humans have found, is the beating hearts of these Kieran, these flying beasts. So they power the ships and they power the cities and. Uh, that is why they are hunted in droves. There's right. an alternative, which is fish oil collected from like flying fish and whales and all those, but it's just not, not quite as strong. It's the, right. it's the, yeah. The, the real like a, quality flight ability. Yeah, is, yeah, exactly. It'll keep you up, but it won't get you there. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> so, so, of a, so of a lighthearted game, that's quite a dark. It is running through it, isn't it? It's, it's uh, the, yeah, well, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to wave around the word biopunk without at least giving a, um, mm. you know, giving a biscuit, giving a nod to anyone who's really <laughs> interested in the combination of technology and biological elements. And yeah, I guess I do. I do market the game as as being lighthearted, but I, that I, that's part of the reason I suppose I come back to the the swashbuckling is because I do. It's lighthearted, but I do want there to be stakes in the world and action and adventure, mm. right? Um, mm. Yeah. And so that's one of the antagonists. Oh, I get so uh, in a way my question about that was is that a particular faction that drives those um, Oh, certainly. Yeah. Or is yeah. it is it the symbiotes against the rest of the world? So, so that's a uh, that's a that's a great question. Um so yeah, like industrialists and hunters, those will be common enemies for the players, being mm-hmm. that they would certainly want to hunt their very own Kirin, which jeopardizes everything the players know and hold dear. Um, and so that they in general will be a common enemy. And I think I have a factions and nations stretch goal coming up. And so hopefully then I'll have the opportunity to kind of expand on different factions of hunters and how they operate, uh, what might make them unique. Um, aside from that, I, even in my current session right now, I actually have the players pitted against another symbiote. Uh, someone else who has bound with the Kirin, but they are willing to take things a bit too far to, <laughs> to accomplish their ends. And um, 
so yeah, I'm, I'm not opposed to players needing to fight other symbiotes. There will also be other uh, creatures that are adapted for the skies, like giant snakes and whales and sharks and cauliflower squids and <laughs> uh, large spiders climbing up the towers and trees. So um, other, other things for players to fight and enemies too, just in the forms of weather and climate, that being a, a, a huge obstacle to overcome traveling from place to place. Um, last but not least, I do have the the... I have a stretch goal set at 50,000 for the below, which is everything that still exists on the surface um, of the planet. And I have some, some big bads planned for down there as well mm -hmm. that will hopefully come up into the skies and cause chaos. So Brilliant, because that was another unanswered question from the Kickstarter is obviously below the clouds is a bad place. But, <laughs> but how bad? It wasn't, you, you're holding back on this. So it has to... <laughs> We we'll have to encourage enough backers to get you up to that fifty thousand. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, we t we teased it a little, but I'll I'll, I'll say um, if you imagine the ocean floor, keeping in the nautical theme of this game, if you imagine the ocean floor, that will do a pretty good job of placing you on the surface. You're not underwater, but you certainly might feel like it. Right. Uh, yeah. Excellent. This 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 is intriguing, and what I particularly <laughs> love about this is. It kind of feels like um, a retro fantasy, but actually this is the far future, if I understand your you, starter correct. We you have colonized the stars, we have engineered ourselves and this world, but now things have gone wrong. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, it is, I almost used the word post-apocalypse initially, mm. but I knew that it wouldn't be, that wouldn't connect in any way because there's mm. no... Um, what, where's all the rust and death and radiation yeah. and yeah mm -hmm. yeah so uh, it does take place in the far future but uh not that kind of post-apocalypse yeah you can you can have colorful ap apocalypses i'm sure <laughs> it's possible it's possible haven't come across any quite yet but maybe this is the first <laughs> well, yeah, well. played between clouds dave <laughs> we're pioneering dave we're making uh, uh, no uh, that's good that's all good. new terrain new terrain here so now I'm going to, now's the time for a technical question. Um, one of the features of Year Zero system mm -hmm. is it's, it is very flexible. Uh, it can do all sorts of genres. One of the, one of the ways it does that is the push mechanic in each of the games. So in mm -hmm. um, Alien, for example, you've got this stress mechanic where you get more dice, but when they roll a one, then bad things happen. The push mechanic in um, Tales from the Loop, which brought you to the uh, Zero system, is actually one of the simplest. Mm. You tick a condition uh, when you want to push your dice. If I roll my pool of dice and I get no sixes initially, how can I push my dice and what does it cost me? Perfect. Great question. Um, so thus far in the current version of the game, and this may change, I, I have a year of production ahead of me, um, and playtesting reveals a lot. Thus far, the push mechanic I have is identical to Tales from the Loop, mm -hmm. but only because that um, valuable as that may be, I, I is almost not the core focus of re-rolling. It's more meant to be an option. So if you failed your role, Matthew, uh, that you would have the opportunity to mark a condition um, to push it, or uh, Tales from the Loop has a system of luck points oh, yeah. um, that you are also allowed to mark to re-roll your dice, to push it in a similar way. Mm -hmm. um, I have borrowed that from Tales from the Loop and inverted it kind of in uh, 
uh, inverted where it's taken from and, and adjusted it for this game. Um, and so instead of luck points, you have unity points. Mm. And those uh, that in-game currency represents the strength of a character's bond with their creature, with their Kieran. And so in an effort to continuously bring the, the family's animal back into the action, otherwise she is quickly forgotten about, I swear. She just, <laughs> no one's sitting at the table to represent this creature, so someone's gotta do it, you know? Um, but so, the, uh, so players can mark a unity point, spend a unity point of theirs to re-roll their dice. And uh, in-game, in, in the fiction, this is represented as the creature coming to their aid, coming to help them. So they may be trying to move aside right. a heavy piece of rubble or, or uh, fight off a group of pirates or even like, you know, um, charm the uh, charm some shopkeeper into giving them a deal. Mm. And the Kieran's <laughs> presence alone, well, gosh, it's so darn cute. How could I say no? You seem like <laughs> nice folk. Um, so there's no role that the Kieran couldn't help with. And that has really been fun in game to see how the creature can uh, come to the player's aid in oh, that way. Good. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And that's depending good. on the depending on the creature's personality type, they have uh, strengths and weaknesses too. Each each uh, different personality of creature um, has three different skills that it'll provide not just a re-roll on, but an automatic success on. All right. Which against especially difficult rolls, that could be a huge yeah. boon that's already one one to go. So that's brilliant. I like that. What happens when you run out of unity? Do you lose your Kirin? Uh, it, it's a, <laughs> that'd be a tragic thing, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> Although I, in, in my current group, I did take their Kirin away from them uh, as, a, as a dramatic story beat. What will you do now? <laughs> um, uh, the unity points replenish every day. Um, right. So when the family has dinner, dinner is the time to level up to... Uh, mark experience points and to reset. And so mm. the unity points replenish at, at dinner time. Mm. Um, there are other little opportunities for players to gain them throughout the day uh, using different um, like either mutations or they can like spend time cooking on the back of the saddle and that will give them an extra. Um, yeah. But so the, if they run out, nothing quite so dire. <laughs> <laughs> That's and you talked great. about you talk about the group, the player group says kind of found families. Yeah. Is it, is it just their is it their Kirin that and you know and what they're trying to do to help the other Kirin? Is that principally what binds them? Or do you do you expect player groups to be actual kind of family members or um, kind of what, what binds them together other than just their unity with the Kirin? Yeah, yeah, great question. Uh the as I as I have it written in the book, um the the Kieran selects symbiotes based on some some arcane uh, process of biological factors, you know, pheromones and sense and and genetic compatibility and all these bizarre things. <laughs> but truly, the process is much more akin to fate. And um, the people that are the, the symbiotes, the characters, are universally um, out of place in their upbringing in some way. Uh, right. what, that, what that is, is open-ended and determined in part by the role that they select. That's one of the, they select a background from it that kind of sculpts where they've been. Um, but so, yeah, whether they be too eccentric or, uh, you know, full of rage or they had a bad upbringing or whatever, whatever it may be, they did not fit in their society. And so the Kieran represents for all of the symbiotes, a second chance. 
And so the found family element is in part, yes, they are bound together just by virtue of being on the back of this creature, having nowhere else to go, but also (laughs) being that now they've met other people who did not fit in and have the opportunity to be themselves and be seen. Right. This, this actually, um, uh, I'm slightly unpacks a, a question I had bubbling away, but I hadn't actually vocalized until you started talking about that. So the symbiotes, are outcasts effectively from society, mm-hmm. but they're not necessarily different from society until they meet their Kirin. It's their Correct. Kirin that transforms them mm-hmm. or starts the transformative pr- process that kind of marks them as outcasts, right? But the, the Cor- Kirin selects them. The Kirin chooses them. They don't choose the Kirin. Yeah. Is that right? Correct. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Although so, the inverse has the inverse could make for some interesting storylines as well. I'm certain there are those who would seek seek power. Um, yeah. <laughs> and who would very much like a Kirin to choose them so they could, you know, uh, what was my example? Shoot fire out of their hands. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's not quite how these things go. Um so yeah, so beforehand, yes, before anyone uh, is selected to be a symbiote, they are nothing more than a, a regular person. But then at their at their time of greatest need, at their lowest lowest point, <laughs> assumably they'd come to be uh, uh, rescued and given a second chance at life by this creature, um, perhaps either on its own or with a gaggle of symbiote symbiotes already in tow. But brilliant, uh, and cool. yeah, it's the bond. It's the bond that transforms them. Um, these the the Kieran are kind of genetic libraries in a way. They have the code of everything they've ever interacted with, every other creature they've ever touched. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is also the reason that players will get new powers and they encounter ones in the wild. Right. That's terrific. Um, just just a quick one on the artwork. So the, you, you say you, know, you, you do a lot of the artwork. Is all this artwork by you? It's, it's all me. The, yeah. It's me. It's excellent. It's really cool. Thank you, it's Dave. Got, it's got a lovely style to it. And it's, Thank um, you. So I'd never, obviously, never heard of this game at all before I saw the um, the free league thing on on Facebook. Yeah, um, and then Matt went, "We must do an interview." And he was like, "Yeah, <laughs> cool, yeah, let's do that." No, well, it's very, great. very grateful to free league and and to you all, and uh, yeah, yeah, and the, the artwork is that I think that is uh, in terms of my, my strengths and marketable skills as it relates to making games. That is kind of my 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 thing. My claim to fame is that I'm. Uh, I can do it all my own, you know, is, um, <laughs> I think for a lot of people, there's the coordination of finding someone to, to, to do the art, finding a way to commission it or otherwise yeah. rules and all that. And, uh, well, you know, doing it all on my own has, um, certainly given me some gray hairs and bitten me in the bum before, uh, <laughs> bitten me in the ass, but, um, yeah, but it's that, that, that is the thing that I do. Yep. Okay. Yeah, um, so cool. just a, a, a few, a few bits of housekeeping, as it were, you've already mentioned <laughs> that this is still a work in progress. So people backing now are going to get, uh, I imagine a, a beta version relatively soon, but the finished product is, I think you said a year away. Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've set, I've set the, the beta quite, uh, quite near in the future, in my opinion, as far as production timelines go. I've set it for July, which is only a few months out. Yeah. But I'm confident that the 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 sooner... I do have a good idea. I'm, I'm already playing the game now. I have a good idea of how it uh, the final thing should be. And I, I have a suspicion that the sooner I put it out, the sooner I can get feedback from the community. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, you know, 20 people, 50 people playtesting certainly does more work than just me sitting in my room. So, yeah. Perhaps, yeah. <laughs> Uh, do you, uh, 
um, do your Discord have your Discord followers got an early text only copy or anything like that that they've been playing? <laughs> with? No, 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 quite not not quite. I mean, they've been slowly prying information out of me. Um, <laughs> and uh, but no, 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 no sneak peeks on Discord. Sometimes I do per- post art there early. So if anyone's interested in seeing new art as it's being made, that would be the place mm. to do it. But brilliant, and that. Feeds us nicely into how can people find out about you? Obviously, we can put <laughs> links in the show notes to the Kickstarter, to your Twitter account. What other what other socials do you have? Sure, um, you know I'm not I'm not so active on social media, but uh, these days I certainly am. Uh, for anyone who's run a Kickstarter, they might relate to that. Uh, <laughs> it's ma- it's made me active. Um, you can find me on Twitter. And Instagram at Andy Makes Games, A N D I Makes Games, no spaces, all lowercase. And um, I'm also on ArtStation as Andy Licht, L I C H T. That's my last name. Uh, yeah. Uh, otherwise, check out Soulbound, mm-hmm. SoulboundRPG.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's that's my previous project. It's like a 450 page manuscript uh, about randomly generated magical weapons it's like a dark industrial fantasy people seem to enjoy that one quite a bit too so if you want to <laughs> if, if if you're unsure of my ability to make a work ever please give that a look and I, that should serve as my resume alone um and, yeah, and of is, course of, of course of, find me on kickstarter so and on kickstarter of course and soulbound is available on um drive through rpg i imagine Correct. Yep. Uh, there's there's a shop on the website. Uh, digital copies are available on DriveThruRPG. There's also a free um, campaign that people can download for first level characters called Ashes of Petrum. And then there is a physical copy that you can purchase off of the Blurb bookstore. There's a link to that on the website. So. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much, Andy, for making the time to come and talk with us about yep, this. Thanks for getting up notice. so early in the morning. Yes, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> worth it. Absolutely worth it. Brilliant. And we, I, I expect that we'll put this out on Saturday. So we'll tell you when it goes out. And, you know, if you want to share it with your followers as well, you can do that. Sure. Perfect. Thank you guys yeah. so much. This has been awesome. This has been yeah, fantastic. Yeah, it's been great chat so. to you, Andy. Yeah, and it's really cool. So um, that was... That was a great interview. She was she she was really good fun to be with. And, Absolutely, um, yeah. You know, I I'm going to recommend this. Uh, I recommend you should at least follow the link in our show notes to the um, Kickstarter and have a look at the illustrations. Uh, they're beautiful, and there's some really deep world building going on there, which I mm. think you know. Even in the interview, she's only hinted at the depth of that. I really feel there's more to uncover. Um, as the campaign progresses on Kickstarter and then as the development happen, uh, progresses on the rest of the world. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I think the, the look and feel of what, what she's done is, is, is great. The artwork is really, really nice as well. All done by herself. She's, very, she, you know, she's multi-talented. Um, mm-hmm. The artwork is, is actually really good. Um, I, hadn't re- I hadn't looked at it that closely, but certainly... If you, if you go to the um, if you go to the uh, to the Kickstarter and have a quick look at it, um, just even the opening picture is is great. Particularly the, like the backgrounds and you can see the cities, misty cities in the background. It's a lovely, it's a lovely, lovely feel. Uh, kind of feels a little brings subtly brings to mind Breath of the Wild, um, the yeah. uh, Legend of Zelda game, the the only one that I've played on on the computer, which is. I wonder, yeah, the, the artwork has got that kind of feel to it. 
Um, but it's really nice, lovely. Uh, I, yeah, and I for for a game that I think there's an interesting kind of duality here for a game that is, yeah, as she says, quite light-hearted, um, sort of like swashbuckling excitement, light-hearted kind of thing. There's a really dark element to it, which is the you know the slaughtering of the Kirin and the cutting out of their hearts and using them to power the industrial strength of. Uh, you know, of the rest of the world, which is actually really quite a grim theme. Um, you know, it, it, what came to mind is, you know, are there Kirin farms? Are there people mm. actually farming these things for the hearts? Or do they just hunt them? And so, yeah, I mean, it's it's got a lot going for it. It's got a lot going for it. And I think it's probably more complex and actually probably a darker game than... Um, you know, if I was the player, colourful I would, illustrations, I would, I would find it a darker game than than mm. than perhaps uh, it, you know some people might find it. But great, no, it's a great chat. She was a real real pleasure to have on, and um, yeah, I mean, uh, go and go and yeah. have a look. So as of, as of recording, which is Friday the eighth of April, um, she smashed her target. She's. Uh, 707 backers with 12 days to go. So if you're interested, uh, go and, and have 707 a look. backers feels to be like a lot, you know. I mean, obviously she's got a fan um, fan base from her previous game, but yeah. that, that's still pretty impressive it is. for an indie game. Um, I'm quite impressed by that. Yeah, me too. So, um, And in fact, I'm going to be one of those backers, but um, I haven't done it yet. I suspect I will be as well, if only for the PDF. Yes, PDF. Well, and you know that's an interesting thing about the delivery. Uh, uh, so you you can get it on paper, but you're getting it on paper through drive through. So it's you know through their printing partners. Like you can get some other drive through. Oh, right. Okay. On, yeah. Printed there. So um, it, it, it's not going to be properly offset printing. Um, it, it, the, the, the quality. I, I've got some drive through uh, printed stuff. And it's 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 pretty good quality, but okay. I'm not. Um, yeah, I I don't think there's anything. You know, when you get the PDF, you're getting exactly the same file, effectively that um, print guys will get. But uh, but the print guys get that printed onto paper and and sent through the post from Drive mm. or Lightning Source, who I think Drive Through's printing partners. Is it? Yeah, I've never done that, so I've got no idea what the quality feels like. I, my, 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 my feeling would be that it would feel a bit naff compared to the quality of, uh, you know, what you get that's produced. Well, some of the things I've not, you, you get some choices about the quality you print at. Um, okay, and you pay for those presumably, and you pay more yeah. almost <clears throat> for that. And um, yeah. yeah, and I, you know, I don't think it's as good as proper offset printing, and I no, don't think the binding's no. as good either. But um, I guess it's never going to be me. really, is it? Yeah. But, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So good luck, Andy. Um, it's doing well. Uh, I'm. Uh, yeah, that's good stuff. Brilliant. Um, so um, now, uh, I'm sure one of us probably had some homework last week for doing it this week, but we've managed um, to um, copy the uh, class SWATs homework and our patron. <laughs> Uh, so our friend Toby is not just our friend and patron. He is also a podcaster in his own right. Indeed. And if you haven't listened to him, I urge you 
to head for the RPG Logic podcast. podcast we yeah. will, of course, put a sh- uh, note in the show notes, uh, link in the show notes. Uh, and what he has a, a lovely thing. They they have um, particularly I listened to a number of his early episodes where they play a bit of the game, but then they talk about it and mm. about the the systems and the game and stuff like that. Um, his last episodes, which I haven't listened to, have been about battle lords um, of the twenty third century, oh, yeah. um, and uh, I haven't touched on those ones yet. No, I haven't. But, either. Um, but the last episode was in the middle of March. Cool. Yeah, because I know cool. he took a, anyway. he had a he had a break, didn't he, from doing it for a while for for various reasons. So it's good to see him uh, back in the saddle again, and it's great to have him on our show because. Uh, He's, uh, he's done a fabulous piece on money in Coriolis. When Matthew asked if I would do an essay on money in the Third Horizon, I immediately began thinking about a brief lecture on the nature of money and the implication for modern money in a situation without fast communication or a single centralized authority. But no one really wants to hear my thoughts on central banking, monetary policy, and role-playing games. But that tension between what is simulationist and what is gamist is what got me started on this path. Well, that and Dave's character in the mercy of the Icons AP constantly worrying about money. Coriolis uses reputation for a catch-all social and economic status measurement. Reputation can go up or down depending on your, your actions and, well, reputation. Does this imply that people who are well-respected gain monetary and financial favors from those that respect them? I think it does. Coriolis is not really a modern setting. That implies a more feudal, relationship-based society than the more or less anonymous finance-based society of the real world. Wealth is less based on the amount of cash in the bank than it is on the relationships and web of obligation and responsibility that you can draw on. Social climbers can't simply amass a huge fortune in Burr. They need to spend that money on building relationships with those above them in the social order, and they need to engage in conspicuous consumption to demonstrate their status and reputation. Witness the goals and actions of Leo Dolcasar in Emissary Lost. All of this weaves someone into the social network, allowing them to turn relationships into burr and burr into relationships. The wealthy in the Third Horizon are cash poor and friend rich. Social relationships and favors are the primary currency of the Third Horizon. The Third Horizon isn't so much a post-scarcity society as it a mostly post-money society. This is more so among the first come than the Zenithians, who still retain some of the attitudes of their finance and scarcity-based societies back on lost Alarda. Among the first come, food and kawa is available to anyone with need, supported by the wealthy higher up in the network. A place to stay may be made available by extended relatives or friends of friends while traveling, or a wealthy patron may put you up in style in exchange for being the guest of honor at a special party where you will make scintillating conversation and bring the excitement of other planets and vistas to the attendees, which in turn brings fame and status upon your host. Among the Zenithians, while the first-come attitude of mutual support forms a good deal of the economy, the Zenithians still value cold, hard burr. However, wealth alone may not admit you to the upper tiers, but family and connections aren't enough on their own either. This brings a number of disadvantages with it as well as the patronage of the wealthy may be withdrawn from those that don't show them the proper respect, or the fortunes of the many are tied to the fortunes of the few. 
If something bad happens to the families at the top, that will rain down hard on those that are relying on them. It encourages discrimination and favoritism, and discourages mobility of all kinds. It is much harder to pull up stakes and move to a new star system if you don't know anyone there, and will be essentially begging for support at the lowest level of society until you can rebuild connections and your reputation in the new society. It also discourages social mobility because it is hard to escape the reputation that you have been building your entire life. Once a screw-up, always a screw-up. What does this look like in practice? Well, at the top you have the individuals, families, governments, and religions that rule the various planets, parts of planets, and systems across the horizon. These rulers are immensely wealthy and own entire planets, command vast fleets and armies, and exploit the wealth and labor of millions or even billions of people. They move in a rarefied environment where their every whim is catered to. While they command mind-boggling sums of burr, they rarely ever touch the stuff themselves. That's for their people to handle. As part of this wealth, they employ and sponsor many millions of others. From the courtesans, diplomats, advisors, and experts that help manage the holdings and facilitate their lives of command and leisure, on down to the scientists, pilots, stevedores, and countless others that keep the wheels of their empires turning. These courtesans and advisors gain their material goods not simply from a salary that they might draw on from their employer, but from the perks of their positions. They will get a sumptuous apartment, a vehicle, catered meals and staff, access to the finest of medical care, child care, and schooling, all through their connections to their patron. They may be invited to speak at a conference at an exclusive resort as a result of their policy work. Or, someone lower on the chain might invite an influential advisor to a fancy dinner in order to discuss a matter of importance to them, so that the advisor might bring the issue up with their patron. All of this creates relationships and networks between people and organizations. The system is more feudal and paternal than strictly market-based. Trade is conducted in burr, surely, but it is more frequently conducted in barter and trade of favors and built relationships. As you can imagine, life for those at the bottom of this network of relationships and favors is tough and precarious. While food, clothing, and medical care is provided by religious orders and, and the patron above, Everything is dependent on the goodwill of that patron. Become unable to work, and your only support might be the goodwill of the charitable religious orders. So you better maintain that relationship while you are able. This means volunteering alongside or at the direction of the order. This system of interdependence doesn't only apply to the wealthy and those they support. It also is a model for the organization of smaller colonies. Maybe the colony is sponsored by the colonial agency. Maybe it is an independent venture by colonists throwing their lot together on a chance at a new life. In either case, all of the colonists work together to support one another in a dangerous and isolated venture. Next time, I'll talk about how this can bring depth to the setting and drama and role-playing opportunities to your games. So that was really interesting. I love, I love his take um, about the whole kind of almost feudal feeling to, to the way... Um, to the way money is uh, is dealt with in in the third horizon, um, you know, his, his phrase that we've took for the title of the show, relationships into burr and burr into relationships, is it is just great because that is absolutely right. I think the, you know, you are you are whoever you are. Actually, it's the strength of your contacts that uh, you know you you either live or die by when when uh, when it comes to it. Even if you're the lowliest of the low. The strength of your contacts with the um, you know, the relevant religious organisations that you would rely mm. upon for charity, yeah, when the worst thing happens, 
is is great. So it's a it's a really good thing. And you know, does this add another idea about how we can make reputation work more effectively in role playing games? Yes. Um, because there's always been a problem with reputation in role playing games. It's never I've never seen a system that works brilliantly. And you know we've tried trying to do something slightly different in terms of the old west, but it's still quite. I think it's better, um, but it still keeps it quite sort of narrative and perhaps not so important. Um, so I think yeah, this is so great. I, I I think you know we, we, long term listeners to this podcast will have heard about our problems with reputation as a mechanic in this game. I think it's improved yes. in other games, um, but in this game, it seems well. No, we, let's not rehash all of those. No, but, uh, we, but no, also, the point, of course, the point that we never really care about it. I mean, you actually have yeah. made us roll on it a couple of times in our Monday Night Coriolis campaign, but normally it doesn't feature, and that says something about the mechanic of the game, doesn't it? Yes, yeah, it's not <clears throat> adding much to the game, no. is it? If we don't use it. Um, we, but also one of the bugbears I have with the system is, and and this is with a lot of space games, is they seem to often turn into accountants in space <laughs> as uh, as people try and pay off their shit debt. I mean, I, I'm not pointing any fingers here, but I I know somebody <laughs> who goes on and on and on about how much his bloody ship is costing him every month. Although, um, actually, I'll just just to interject there. I I like that part of the game for my character because actually money does matter. If I don't make enough money, my ship stops working, and I don't go yeah. anywhere. So actually, the fact that I worry about money as a character is is a really for me anyway. It's a really important part of the game. Now no, I don't it, mind the accountancy. But I guess some people, some people are less interested in it. But anyway, yeah, I just wanted to interject. Yeah, that. seeing both um, you and Toby have bloody mentioned me as a penny pinching <laughs> bastard in Coriolis. Um, there are reasons behind that. Yeah, no, no, no. So I, I, I thoroughly enjoy the way you you role play it. But actually, just you know, the adding up and taking away of uh, interest and stuff. Uh, well, it's not interest, of course, in this particular game. But you know paying back every month your your uh, your part of the ship is meant to be a motivator in a lot of these science fiction games but i sometimes feel it's just like a weight a dead weight on hmm. um uh, on, on a lot of games if anybody you know i think there's a lot of groups where they don't really worry about it they just say oh yeah. the ship's the ship go off and do it and there's other groups where some bloody accountant who's a role player Gets really into it and starts, you know, siphoning money off onto the onto the side, <laughs> and and diddling the rest of the crew out of their fair great. profits. That's great. I, I love and that. And saying, idea. by the way, I'm a millionaire. <laughs> well, it's it's interesting that in our game that Tony, um, and now Zaki, now he's part of the crew. Although I guess Zaki probably doesn't feel like he's even got a stake. Um, just lets me deal with the money. So I just pull yeah. up all our money, and you know, Tony doesn't seem to care about it so much. Whereas he's happy for me to deal with it all, which is fine, which is great. I like I like the dynamic. Yeah, but I, I we have also long term listeners of the podcast will also have uh, talked about uh, heard us talk or me talk about um, one of the things you know if you don't have instantaneous communication across star systems, 
between star systems, how can you have anything like a modern banking network? Yeah. And we you know we talked about Havelo in that. Havala banking. So yeah. I love all this idea that the way money works in Coriolis is a bit more medieval than we might expect money to work nowadays, yes. even if people are carrying chips around. And yeah. I look forward to the next week's episode where I think, you know, he's going to put that in in some sort of mechanical sense mm. um, yeah. and maybe offer some kind of house rules for yeah. changing the way money works in Coriolis in a way that it, will make it hopefully <clears throat> playable and storyable. And there'll still be debt and there will still be obligations, but those I think might be slightly easier to run than just adding up numbers and taking them away. Although well, it's interesting. I mean, by but if well, it'd be good to hear what Toby's thoughts are um, on the, on his next next piece for us if he's uh, happy to do it. Um, it might make that thing more complicated if you are starting to translate your reputation into the provision of services that you might mm-hmm. otherwise have paid for. But it'd be interesting to see what, what, what Toby comes up with, what his thoughts are on it. But I love the idea that the the, the thing, when, he, when he's talking about patronage, um, that's, that's basically exactly the same as the old sort of um, ancient Roman uh, system of clientship, where yeah. Yeah, a powerful man would have clients. Uh, it almost mm. kind of in the sense of a bit like um, Don Corleone, you know, don't don't you know you don't pay me for this, but one day I might come to you and ask you for a favour, and you you know I hope you remember this day kind of um, thing. Then and you'll owe me, yeah. And there's a client, there's a clientele um, uh, relationship in there where the client will get help from his his patron uh, for all sorts of stuff, but then the patron will expect his client to back him and, and help him, um, you know, when he wants to be voted in for console or something. So I love that. I, I think that's a really nice thing. And um, again, it'd be interesting to see where where, where Toby's next piece takes us. Mm. Yes. No. I'm I'm excited to to read that first of all because I'm sure he'll send me a a copy for approval, uh, and then to hear him talk <laughs> about it. Um, he can send it to both of us. So, you know, I kind of left you out last time, but you did. Um, you d- you yeah. completely left me out, but it's okay because Toby has got got enough quality to. To do a good piece yes. with, without, you know, even though you've interfered with it. So that's fine. Yes, I, I, cool. I only interfered lightly. Over a couple of <laughs> words were all I um, questioned and it, it was good to go. No, it's a great piece. Um, yeah, thank you, Toby, for doing that. That was really good. And look forward to hearing the next one. Yes. Right. Is that brought us to the end of the programme? I think it probably has, don't you know? And we know what we're doing next week. We're having the second part of Toby's thing. Has has Toby agreed to do that then? Yes. Yeah, excellent. Um, What else do we have? Did you not hear the bit at the end where he said, next time I'll talk about this? I did, but I didn't know that that was next time, as in on the next show. Yeah. So, no, that's cool. Uh, No, that's very cool. That's really good. And we might have another interview. I'm sure uh, uh, David, if we get to talk to him, will be brilliant. Um, yes. Because I've started following him on Twitter now, and there's some interesting things he says on Twitter too. So yeah, um, Cool, good, good. And also, um, I think uh, one of his comics that he's written has been optioned for a TV series or something. So oh, that's wow. a bit exciting. Too. And we might even talk about that in the interview. What's, what's the comic? 
uh, off the top of my head, I can't remember, and it's not one I've read. And it's okay. not like a, it, it's it's his own thing. It's not like it's not an alien comic, comic or something. Or whatever. Yeah. No. no, no. Uh, okay. Wow. Excellent. Well, definitely want to talk about that then. If uh, if we if and yeah. when we get him on. Cool. But so maybe we, not next time. We've blathered on long enough. We will hopefully have that for next time. But if we don't, I will think of some homework for Matthew to do, or vice versa, in advance. Um, yeah. But otherwise, unless there's anything else. And uh, I, there's nothing from me, so it's goodbye and, from me. And it's goodbye from him. And, and may, may the icons, icons bless, bless your, your adventures. adventures. Or your burr, or whatever. <laughs> may the icons bless your debts. No, 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 you're just ruining it now. <laughs> As always, I know. It's a catchphrase. The point of a catchphrase <laughs> is we don't change it. <laughs> uh, okay, sorry. Right then, bye guys. Bye. You have been listening to The Effect Podcast, presented by Fiction Suit and the RPG Gods. Music stars on a black sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing. I will, I will say too, I, uh, I've, I've, I've done a few interviews as of late for, for this thing here. Um, and uh, just the, you, you guys have, uh, you're, you're each great. You guys have great chemistry, but I'll say working with two um, two hosts, two interviewers is is much better. It has a different <laughs> there's a there's a different rhythm to it. You two can bounce mm. off of each other, and I think I think you make a good team. So this has been one of the more uh, one of the, one of the more pleasant interviews I've done. So. Oh, cool! Thank you. That's great to hear. <laughs> yeah, because because we hate doing interviews together because he's he's a right pain in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> We have known each other since when well, I was eleven, probably, and Matt was thirteen. Really? So, yeah. Uh, I, don't, uh, I don't wish to say how many years that is. Okay. It's, it's quite a lot. I'll refrain from speculating, but I can. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's well, that's awfully sweet that I think you two have managed to to be here now. You know, friends are friends are not cheap. So. Well, actually, he's quite cheap, but. Um... <laughs> <laughs>